Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Gridiron Bliss Podcast, your weekly source for women's American football, insights, game recaps, and NFL News Weekly. Subscribe on Apple and iHeart. Welcome to the Great Iron Bliss, episode four. Coming back uh, this week, uh, 436, uh, kind of rusty after being off for, I think, almost six to seven months. So I hope everybody's uh, ready to talk WNFC 2023, WFA 2023. We're going to be talking that in the second hour with uh, Terry Lister, the Sultu on Mackenzie Brooks, uh, the Oracle of women's tackle football. That is Mark Simone, the AKA back, the backseat coach. Uh, and we're going to be having two great guests on the return of the podcast after uh, our hiatus here. Um, had to go away for a little while because uh, we had some personal uh, things happening with my spouse. Uh, you know, uh, she's actually up and running now in rehab, so she's doing a lot better. That takes some time off, and then that's what happens when you got to take care of family. So, uh, other than that, uh, you know, back strong here. Looking forward to this upcoming season of what's going to happen in both of the top leagues in the world. Uh, looking for the Vire uh, Sports uh, introduction in terms of see what that's going to be for year four of the WNFC. We're also looking forward to the Women's Sports Network coverage and the ESPN coverage of the WFA. So today in the huddle, uh, we're going to be chatting with Grace Cooper of the Denver Bandits and Coach uh, Chanel uh, Soho Tillman Brooks of the new expanded uh, Houston Mambas expansion team that's going to take over for the Houston Heat from the WNFC 2022 season. Now they are uh, getting ready for the 2023 WNFC season. Uh, we're also going to dive into the uh, Women's Football Alliance pro schedule, uh, the top teams in the pro division. Uh, there's 11, of, and then the WNFC 2023 uh, schedule as well, which has been broken down into divisions. So that's kind of interesting in terms of uh, the top six teams. It looks like the top six teams will make the playoffs either in South Lake or Atlanta. So that'll be very interesting to see who's going to come up front. A lot of changes in both leagues uh, in the offseason. A lot of international players coming to both leagues uh, than we've had in the previous seasons. And that's going to help uh, influx, uh, including uh, North American players from Canada and Mexico, and all, obviously the Euro scene. So we're going to dive into also the Euro scene as we get into a, each week of the podcast. We're, we're going to dive into the uh, NWFL in the UK. We'll dive into Sweden, Finland, Germany. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, leagues that are going to start up there. We're also going to dive into Lexfo and Lafay down south, FX Mexico. Uh, a couple things are were happening in Honduras. So if you were uh, keeping tabs all season while we were off on the podcast, you can go to the hub at facebook.com forward slash ground beauties. That is the place to be. Best network on the planet exists at the hub at facebook.com forward slash ground beauty. So uh, we're, we're going to dive into the XFL because in the, in, the, uh, in the opportunity for the Super Bowl, uh, normally there's a little gap of space where we get the NFL news offseason. This, this year, for whatever reason, uh, less than a week after the Chiefs and the Eagles um, you know, concluded Super Bowl 57, shout out to Diana Flores out there who is also a part of the flag movement that the NFL has uh, put together. Uh, and so she was on the big, big time commercial. 
So if you didn't see the commercial, you can go back to NFL.com, check out uh, or just search Diana Flores. It's pretty much there. Or you can go directly to the hub at facebook.com forward slash Grand Beauties and go back about two months and you get to see uh, Diana Flores front and center as well. Uh, so the XFL kicked off its third, you know, third version uh, at Chalkoff Stadium uh, in Arlington, Texas. Uh, the first of 10 regular season games slated to open with the Arlington Renegades rallying from a 22-20 to 20, uh, victory over the Vegas Vipers on Saturday. That was week one. Uh, and then it was the Defenders' 20, uh, 22-18 win over the Seattle Sea Dragons on Sunday night. And you, uh, if you were at the Hub, you got to see uh, Lois Cook uh, all guard up in her XFL gear with uh, supporting the D.C. Defenders. They also had the Divas out there at the D.C. Defenders games. Um, so a lot, a lot of interaction happening with the women's game, including, uh, you know, XFL, not just NFL. So that's pretty pretty cool to see. The league co-owned and obviously, uh, you know, managed by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, as well as Danny Garcia. Um, and the, the number of rule changes were really intriguing the first week. Uh, you got to see a one-point, two-point, a three-point type of version, something that was very exciting, uh, considering if you're down a couple points uh, in the fourth quarter, you're able to make it up. It was really interesting to see that. If you get a third down, convert, and then at that point you have the opportunity to do a fourth and 15. If you convert the fourth and 15, you're able to get the ball back instead of doing an onside kick. So that very inter- interesting rules. Uh, for the XFL, and it was a really exciting weekend uh, in week one and uh, taking care of, you know, the uh, Arlington crowd, uh, the Renegades kind of re- rebranded Renegades. They're uh, part of the team that was initially part of that um, original back in when Vince McMahon owned the, owned the league. Now, uh, Rock Johnson just announced, uh, I think a, just a, a, a day or two, that they're going to be hooking up with, obviously, Under Armour, which he's, uh, um, he's part of Under Armour with his uh, rock line, uh, his apparel line, and everything else done for that. So um, really, really interesting there. Uh, the Renegades didn't score a single offensive touchdown, uh, but uh, did do two pick sixes, and they get out with a victory of 22-20 to 20, uh, over the Vegas Vipers in the first XFL game of the new league 2023 season. That was really good, really good defense effort, including critical sacks of, for the, uh, you know, against the Vegas. Uh, Luis Perez did not perform as well as I thought he would. Uh, kind of a journeyman. Luis Perez, AF, USFL, uh, literally, you know, has never been able to crack an NFL roster as a starter. Um, so he's kind of like in that sense. But it, it goes to show that that's probably the reason why he hasn't, <laughs> because, uh, you know, he, he's just not as consistent as we think. And, He's still semi-pro mentality, in, in other words, not NFL high-caliber quarterback. So the opportunity is here for the XFL. Uh, there's also the US, US, um, USFL also is going to be kicking off in a couple weeks here as well. So um, it, it was just, you know, it wasn't Luis's, uh, Perez's day at this point. Uh, he was just, just not the guy that was going to take care of business, especially for Vegas. Uh, week two also didn't go as well for Vegas. So uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of things that happen. Uh, in terms of, um, you know, the XFL being what it is. But overall, I mean, it, it is what it is. I, I thought it was interesting uh, considering the rules and everything else that happened. Uh, I'm kind of interested to see how that's going to go. Uh, kind of happy to see uh, Wade Phillips, uh, my former Rams uh, defensive coach, obviously, for, uh, that took us to the Super Bowl. Uh, like, nice to see him 
back in there with the Houston Roughnecks. I think that's probably going to be the favorite team for me, the Roughnecks. Uh, they defeated the Orlando Guardians 33-12. to Orlando a mess <laughs> after two weeks. And if you watched it this past week, they have just not been good. The coach uh, throwing everybody under the bus for their efforts. Uh, probably not a good showing there for Orlando. Uh, Houston forced four turnovers. That was week one. And then this past week, they were no better. Um, the, the surprising team that I thought was really interesting was San Antonio, the, the Brahmas, San Antonio Brahmas. They did a really good job of kind of, you know, navigating the course there. But St. Louis is going to be the story so far. Um, and that's the story that everybody's going to be watching right now. Um, it was just a, a great entertaining game. Uh, the offense was anemic in the first three quarters of its comeback against San Antonio. If you saw the game there, uh, A.J. McCarron, everybody knows him from the Cincinnati uh, Bengals, uh, found Hakeem Butler in the end zone and then converted a three-point attempt to cut San Antonio's lead to three. Uh, the Battlehawks became the first team in the new season to convert an onside kick replacement. So it was really, really awesome. And that game was a, down to the wire because if you were, weren't watching it, you were like, this game's over, they're just going to get crushed. And no, there was opportunity. Uh, McCarron extended the play when a face center pressure found receiver Austin Prohl to convert the first down and keep St. Louis offense on the field. The play and the, uh, the next touchdown drive allowed the Battlehawks to score 15 points inside the two-minute warning to win the game. Now, that's exciting right there. That is the rules at, in effect, and it helped out this team. And in week two, they were almost as exciting. So if you're a St. Louis fan that lost the Rams, which I, I apologize, uh, you are now very excited. The Dome is excited. This is St. Louis uh, pro football. And the XFL took advantage of that market being completely open and fans being bitter in that market. So, the, you know, the NFL obviously didn't do, doing, didn't do justice by not putting another team in there. But, you know, it was just uh, – if you're a St. Louis Battlehawks fan – you're good to go because that's what that's what it's going to be, you know. Um, but uh, week two of the XFL um, was somewhat exciting. Not as exciting as week one, but I'm um, looking forward to week three here and see how Houston's going to fare as well. Orlando's a mess right now. Uh, San, Antonio, San Antonio did get their first win after that, you know, devastating loss in week one against St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis kind of rolling right now, uh, and, and they're having good potential here. So it's going to be interesting to see that. Uh, we are going to be ca- kind of keeping tabs on the USFL, not as exclusively as the XFL uh, at this point, but uh, USF- USFL uh, kicks off on April 15th. So between the WFA uh, kickoff, uh, between I'm saying the WFC kickoff on April 1st and the WFA kickoff on April 22nd, we're still going to have men's semi-pro football to talk about. So in between all that, we're still going to be talking about, including NFL offseason news and notes that will come about. So we're going to be kind of diving into all sports in general, the men's sports, plus we're going to dive into the uh, sports in general for, um, you know, women's soccer football like we normally do on the podcast at, at this point. So interesting, interesting uh, dilemma there. Uh, I'm kind of excited to see what the rules, how the rules are going to play week to week, but so far it's been very intriguing for the XFL uh, and, and see how, you know, how the league's going to, you know, put themselves on the map in other words, um, it's really good that they had a, that they have somewhat of a good relationship with the NFL. That's something of a less barrier that the McMahon-led crew did not have. And so, 
you know, it is what it is. Uh, if they want to be a developmental league, which makes more sense, it's an opportunity for new players to hone their skills, uh, opportunity for them to go either to Europe, to the ELF, or go to the Canadian Football League in, in, up north. Uh, even down south, there's two leagues, two pro leagues in Mexico, the L, uh, LFA in Mexico as well. So there's, there's a lot of opportunity in terms of men's pro football where they can go and pursue their stuff and go from there. So interesting to see how, you know, they're going to fare um, in terms of viewership and how the networks are going to treat them. I um, mean, you know, it's not like we're not getting – it's like, you know, uh, women's soccer football doesn't get the accommodations. Uh, unfortunately, uh, they don't get the accommodations that, um, you know, men's do in terms of sponsorship, in terms of uh, vendors, relationships, all that stuff. Um, so it's it's interesting to see um, what's going to happen. So let's see if we have our two guests because we're going to have a uh, – we have two guests on, and today we're going to have the talented Grace Cooper, who, if you didn't know, Grace Cooper on the cover of Russ Crawford's uh, Breaking Barriers on and off the Gridiron, Women's American Football. You can get it uh, pretty much anywhere now, Amazon as well. Uh, she was the featured cover there as well, uh, and she was uh, featured in the big book. And I also was on there, and I appreciate Russ for uh, having us on there. It was myself, Rick Rasmussen. Um, and it was also Michael Burmy, Chris Sacco. Uh, so they were really, really exciting. Um, so it was really, uh, really well done book. So if you haven't picked up your, co- uh, your copy yet and, and be on the cover, number 42 is on the cover, former Minnesota Vixen. So we're going to go into the huddle right now. We're going to be talking to uh, the talented Grace Cooper of your 2023 Denver Bandits right now. All right. Grace, are you on the line? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, Grace, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Good, good. I'm just thanks for making the time for me. I know you're kind of busy with your uh, teacher and all the other things that you got to get done during the weeks, but I appreciate you making a time for us on this Tuesday to kind of chat 2023 uh, WNFC. Absolutely, I'll always talk football. Now, Grace. Uh, uh, we had kind of a shocker while I was on hiatus uh, dealing with family and then had to take off the podcast. And, and all of a sudden, uh, Grace Cooper no longer a Minnesota Vixen and now uh, resurfaces in Denver. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, first off, it wasn't my choice um, to leave the Vixen. That was uh, myself and a few other players were – mysteriously uh, not asked to return back to the team. Um, And then when we pressed the owners and the head coaches further for any reasons, we were told that we couldn't be given any specific reasons uh, or any specific, yeah, reasons for um, not being asked back due to legal reasons, which didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, So our starting center, our star tight end, myself, one of our uh, starting line players, um, so it was just kind of a really weird circumstance and just totally out of the blue. There never was any sort of indication that, um, something was amiss. And then all of a sudden I found myself without a team. And, uh, one of our, one of the other former Vixen, Erin McIsaac, she had 
been in a position where she was looking for a different team. And Denver reached out to her, seeing if she wanted to go, or a few teams actually reached out to her, and she uh, found herself in Denver. And so then she was already in Denver at that moment, and so she reached out to myself and uh, Jay White and said, hey, I've found a pretty cool team out in Denver. Why don't you two also come play out here? And so that's how we ended up in Denver, long story short. All right, so I'm going to tell you this. If you were an, an NFL-caliber type of news, that, was a, that, was, that would have been like breaking news on every channel. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it was, no it was a Minnesota, shock. We would have been talking about it for like eight hours, you know, like NFL Network would have been talking about it. Uh, but yeah, you know I, what I imagine mean? so. <laughs> but, you know, it, it was just kind of weird to see uh, the fact that not just yourself, but like you said, uh, you know, uh, Aaron as well, leaving. Uh, kind of a, you always consider Minnesota kind of a staple type of club where there's really not much change, right? It's always stability every year in, year out. You're, you're bringing in new, uh, new rookies and then kind of blending them into the tech. But, I mean, that, that to me was kind of like, okay, why? You know, the why, right? <laughs> the why. You, uh, you, you obviously have a lot of accolades, a lot of memories there. Uh, you've, you've contributed to that team in a lot of ways, not just on the field, obviously, as well. I mean, I guess the only word we can say is what, disappointing? Just disappointed that it's, you're not going back to Minnesota at this point and kind of excited that you're, you're going to be in Denver with the, with the new environment? Yeah, there are uh, – I mean, originally there were a lot more emotions than there are now. It was pretty heartbreaking at the time, just all of mm-hmm. the time and effort that I'd put into the Minnesota team. Um, and even last season, I mean, with tearing my ACL in April and then still finding a way to be mm-hmm. at every practice. And any athlete who's been hurt before can tell you how gut-wrenching it is to be at practice when you cannot physically participate, but you're still trying to be there in some capacity. And then the whole season, I put off getting surgery um, because I wanted to still be able to be around my team. And, you know, when you have surgery, you can't really do a whole lot for the first couple of weeks, so you're down and out. And then the championship game rolled around, and both of our running, other running backs had um, gotten dinged up in the playoffs. And so I thought, well, I might be able to contribute to helping my team win a national championship because all I wanted was a team win. Um, so I suited up. I had the sport brace. I still played in the national championship last year with my torn ACL, uh, still led the league – or not the league, but still led my team in rush yards mm-hmm. in the championship. Mm-hmm. And then after that whole series of years of effort and playing hurt, potentially compromising myself more to try to get that team win, to just turn around and have your kind of like the team and the owners and the coaches say, yep, this is the best decision. We don't see you being on the team anymore. And uh, yeah, it just, there was a lot of um, heartache with that because it felt like I'd um, been putting a lot of myself into something that then wasn't appreciated at all. Um, And, you know, like with a new beginning, seven years into the sport, unexpectedly, there was a lot of uncertainty with it at first. Like, uh, what do I do now? Am I going to be playing in a different state? How do I figure that out? But, yeah, now there's a lot of excitement being in a different league and kind of seeing some of the different ways things are run. Um, It's a whole new opportunity. It's a new team. So, yeah, there's a lot of excitement now, a lot of looking forward to new journeys. Um, I have a different football number, which was even weird. My number now is 24, which was kind of funny Mm -hmm. that it ended up just being the reverse of my first number. 
But even that, you're like, oh, I have to get a new number. I'm a whole different person. Yeah. Well, you're going. You're going Definitely the Kobe, an interesting Ra- part Kobe of the Bryant, uh, Kobe Bryant number. So that, I guess that's a good sign in some ways. Yep, it's Kobe Bryant's number. It's Nick Chubb's number. So I mean, there's a lot yeah. of legacy behind it. Um, tell me, tell me how this is going to happen in terms of transition because we we talked to a lot of players in terms of like, you know, uh, state to state they'll travel or they'll just fly or they, they, they have to do accommodations or they get a nice little miles, miles deal on their credit card, right? You're able to just afford back and forth on the trips and things like that. Um, how have you been able to, you know, in terms of like sponsorships, are you looking for that right now to kind of help you with that, with that uh, burden, in other words? Absolutely. Sponsorships would be amazing. Sponsorships for any athlete in the WNSD or the WFA is always incredible. Um, we're professional athletes. And, uh, like, speaking for myself, I know that I'm competing at a caliber high enough to be recognized with sponsorships. And that absolutely would support it. Because, like you said, there's all the cost of flying. And, yes, I did get a Southwest uh, travel reward card to get that mile bonus. Um, So that helped with a few flights. But you just got to be really careful with your um, spending in season and, a lot of budgeting and a lot of trying to find extra places to get some money to help fund it. Now I know uh, I know the travel is a cost because you know uh, our own co-host Holly Custis did that with uh, with Utah Seattle the Utah in in that aspect. And I know there's a lot of players that do it anyways. Um, you know, and it's a burden in that sense. But the arrangement has that been that was that talked to with Marcel about how. Maybe to ease the burden there as well in terms of, uh, you know, as the season, obviously it's like eight weeks almost. So you And, and if you go to the playoffs, it's going to be more like 10 weeks, right? So you're budgeting literally for almost 12 weeks in, in reality. Um, so is that something of an accommodation where the teams actually helped you out in that sense too? Like where you come in to Denver and you, you have somewhere to stay, like with Aaron or something? I, mean, yeah. I don't want to get personal, but you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the team has been super accommodating. And uh, – that was one of the most interesting things about the WNFC compared to the WFA um, is the Vixen um, had never really had any sort of player even just come in from Wisconsin. Um, so there, you didn't really have that um, talent coming from other places. So it really had to be, mm-hmm. if it's here, we have it. And if it's not, we don't. Um, and, uh, last or not last year but the year before that the years all blur together but when we had yona come over from finland that was the first time that there was a player from another country and so it was kind of a really cool thing but the denver bandits seem much more set up to host and facilitate a lot of -of out-of-state players so they have i don't know if you've seen the denver bandits instagram page but they just did a live with the whole house full of australians that they have out there now so they've got them set up in a house. There are extra beds and rooms for when more out-of-state people come. So that's really nice to have that uh, lodging accommodation because I think most people can also tell you finding a flight is only about half the cost of getting anywhere than it's right. where do you stay. Yep. So yeah, it's been really nice to have that option for staying. And then you also get the opportunity to uh, spend some extra time with your teammates in a non-football setting, which is always really good. Now, Grace, uh, do you feel like you coming over to Denver? Denver's hungry. Denver is one of the teams last year that almost got to the nine cup. 
I know Marcel is building for that, uh, you know, that level to take down Odessa Jenkins and the, and the Texas Elite Spartans, which everybody else in the WNFC wants to do. <laughs> um, yep. You know what I mean? So I know Marcel's plan. Um, so he's, he's more than, you know, uh, doing his extra, extra, in other words. He's, he's doing what most NFL owners don't do in a lot of teams that are not good. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's going above and beyond basically to, you know, you're bringing some uh, top-notch Australians with quality championship potential, uh, a national team pedigree, bringing in some uh, Hispanics down below from Mexico as well, a mixture of all-stars from, you know, the WFA, WTFL. So it's kind of like uh, have to put the team together. And, and you know, in football, you got to be consistent, right? Do you feel like you guys are going to be in that level of consistency uh, given – the higher caliber of players and some of those players' experiences already at with with you know championship pedigree on different teams and not just in the states but internationally. Oh, absolutely, and yeah, like I said about the bandits' ability to facilitate that out-of-state talent coming in, that's also been one of the biggest differences is just the level of play already in practice from this team compared to the Minnesota team. The Minnesota team, one of their um, biggest uh, taglines almost was we'll teach you everything you need to know about football no experience needed and so every year it almost felt like you were starting over in part because you mm-hmm. had these people who had absolutely no football experience whatsoever they'd never stepped foot on a field didn't know the down and distance um, and so then we had to spend the first couple months of practice learning how to tackle, learning how to hold a ball, learning how to throw a ball, learning how to catch. And then with this team and having that ability to bring in so much different talent, there are so few people who don't know about football, which really makes it so that you're already playing at that higher caliber so you can start working on the nuances of playing football and not necessarily just an in route is five yards and then a hard cut and then in you can work on all the subtleties and the things that make it a really fun sport. So, yeah, I would definitely say that the it's going to be really fun to watch us play. And now, you know, when you get into that environment, like you said, it, uh, you know, the creation of the, the team, the franchise itself, uh, I think Marcel is in, in, in a motion to win now, and I think that's where it's coming from, right? Because if you're not in the motion to win, uh, win now, you're in that other motion that you just said where you're, you know, you're five weeks or uh, six weeks prior to the kickoff or the, the four weeks before kickoff, I mean, you're still trying to get everybody acclimated to the playbook, trying to get every, to the basics in the playbook, where when you've got, got veteran players that have already played, you know, you know five seasons or more on a team, uh, literally the playbook's kind of starting to in, be instituted within a two-week period, right? And then you've got that two, three weeks to really fine-tune it before game one. 100%. Yeah, and the um, just the depth of the playbook now compared to what I've played with before. I mean, I've played before where we had uh, it's either a run or a pass, and then if it's a pass, you call the name and everybody knows exactly where they're doing or where they're going and what they're doing, um, or you're running a toss right or a toss left. And it was just so simple because it had to be so that people could understand it and be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like part of the Minnesota Vixen was consistency. It was something that we were able to consistently do, but also with the Minnesota Vixen, it never felt like um, 
the playbook or the playing or the level of play. It, it never felt like it was coached to a level of trying to win national championships. It just felt like it was something where it was, yay, we learned it and we succeeded and made it to the championship and then lost because Boston knew all of our plays because we ran all of them last year also. Um, that I think it was the first play that Boston scored on this last year was one of our own plays, and Shantae Bonds ran it for a touchdown because we're consistent. We run the same plays all the time. Um, so, yeah, and with this team, it just feels like it's coached and taught at a level of, like you mentioned, Marcel having that intensity of wanting to win. So everything is at that level. The playbook is to win. The coaching is to win. It's not just to exist and learn how to play football. Now, Grace, uh, we get to a level uh, in the WNFC where now it's more visibility. You're going to be on film week to week on virus sports. Uh, people are going to know exactly what uh, Grace Cooper is all about and obviously the Denver Bandits. Uh, given the acquisition to Denver, just a lot of a lot of talent from what I saw in terms of the roster acquisitions from returning players from last year and returning players, uh, you know, and the players from this year. So, before I let you go, tell us a little bit about what your expectation is uh, in Denver with you and the cast of international stars that are going to are being put together now. Uh, of course, it is to win the nine cup, but do you feel like? Your 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 first goal is to just win that division and then move and then move into facing. Uh, hopefully, you know at this point you guys are going to be at that that next round because last year, the year before was the first year wasn't a great season for them because they kind of fell short with a couple plays and then last year they really shocked everybody in San Diego and so like I said earlier, Marcel is, is ready to take the next leap, which is to to the final. Yeah, absolutely. I think at the very base level, my expectation for myself and for all of my teammates at every practice is to do your absolute best and try as hard as you possibly physically can to succeed in every play. Because if you're trying your hardest to succeed, odds are your will is going to win. And if you're in the trenches, if you're on the line and you try as hard as you possibly can, you win and you pancake the person or you get the sack. If you're a wide receiver and you're trying as hard as you possibly can, you break free for the long touchdown. So at every level, my expectation is always that myself and everybody is trying as hard as we physically can. And then with all of the talent, like you have national team gold medalists, you have um, all Americans, you have MVPs of all American at all pro games so we have all of this talent, and if we all work as hard as we possibly can, I don't see that there's any other outcome but us being in the nine cup and winning. All right. So Dallas is going to be your trip. I'm hoping you're already budgeting and planning for the star in Frisco. <laughs> uh, it's to be front and center. Oh, absolutely. Um, so you didn't really change colors, Grace, which is, I guess, a cool a cool thing, right? Black and, black and was, red. and. Yeah. Yeah, it was really convenient. I look good in black and red. So, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I on the um, on the down low, I have always wanted. Yeah, exactly. I've always wanted to wear all black, black jerseys with black pants and black socks. Not red socks, not white socks, none of this other stuff. So I'm hoping for an all black, uh, and I think I found the team with an all black. So that worked out well. All right, so we'll go with the motto: uh, Grace Cooper is going lawless. 
this season, and you can catch her on Vire Sports. Uh, she's going to be taking on the Houston Mambas. A uh, new team in Houston. Uh, our next guest that we have coming on, uh, Grace, is going to be Coach Soho, who's very uh, intricate in terms of semi-pro and winning championships in semi-pro on both the women's and men's side. So it's going to be a very uh, interesting test for Denver going up against Houston, game one. So uh, I, I'm hoping you're, you're expecting a little bit of, a, you know, good, good competition uh, game one. Yeah, I, uh, I haven't had good competition in a while. So I'm absolutely expecting and looking forward to it. All right, Grace, thank you very much. Um, and if you want to uh, support Grace, on her journey, uh, obviously, it's going to be a long season. If you want to sponsor Grace, uh, Grace Cooper on Facebook. Uh, what's your IG handle? They can go in there and direct message you, or if they, uh, do, do they need to go to the Denver Bandits official site? No, they can go to my um, Instagram. My Instagram is eyes underscore of Grace. So just like E-Y-E-S underscore of Grace. Mm-hmm. All right, so you guys can check it out there. Uh, support number 24. She's looking really good in Bandit, red, and black. And, uh, Grace, thank you for making the time. Appreciate it. I wanted to kind of spotlight yourself and the Bandits uh, because of the fact that it is game one of the WNFC 2023 season. Everybody's excited to see what's going to happen. And, and then the influx of yourself and the other international players. Just making uh, Denver kind of a let's keep an eye on this team and see what they're going to do this year. Uh, so, um, you know, shout out to you and Marcel and the, and the crew out there, including our own Terry Lister here, uh, trying to make it happen, right? Trying to take down the, the juggernaut that is the Texas Elite Spartans. 100%. Absolutely keep an eye on us. It'll be a fun season. Thank you again. I uh, appreciate it. I'll keep tabs. We'll see if we can uh, get another interview in mid, mid-season, if not late, early before the playoffs. But uh, have a safe weekend. Appreciate it for making the time. Stay safe. Uh, looking forward to, to see you in Denver. Yeah, I appreciate it, too. Thank you so much. Have a great night. You, too. All right, guys. Uh, Grace Cooper, now of the Denver Bandits, uh, 2023. She is going to be uh, kind of a very important piece for Denver offensively because Denver struggled last season offensively. Very good defense. Now the uh, bringing in Aaron McKaysick bringing in some of the top players in um, Australia, Cassie Cubis, uh, and a couple other members there, uh, straightening some of their defense as well with Janessa White. Um, so you, just going just gonna to be interesting to see how Denver fares this, uh, after a good kind of a disappointing season. Last year in terms of an ending, they did, they did go deep into the playoffs, but, you know, it, it is what it is. So we're going to go into the next huddle, and we're going to be talking to – the legendary coach, AFE Hall of Fame coach, as well as a longtime championship coach and semi-pro, both men's and women's, and that's going to be the new head coach of the Houston um, Mambas, and that is uh, Coach Soho Tillman Brooks in the house. Coach Soho, how are you doing tonight? How you doing, Oscar? I'm doing great. Thank you for making the time, Coach. Uh, kind of excited for this 2023 season. Uh, we've got, what, four weeks to kick off. Um, I was I was not surprised that you're in Houston for some reason uh, when the announcement was made, but uh, it's nice to be back in Texas. How's that? Oh yeah, most definitely it's nice to be back. You know, you, you can't beat this weather. You can't beat the people. You can't beat the food. You know, definitely can't beat the speed limit. Coach, uh, 
Houston Heat didn't fare very well in the first two seasons in the WNFC. We get uh, Kanisha, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, you know, as an owners here. Um, I'm assuming they cut the big check for you to come over to Houston. <laughs> You're funny, man. <laughs> <laughs> So they didn't cut the check. Is that what you're telling me? It's still, it's still, been, it's still to be written. No, no check cash. All right. So, Coach, uh, on a serious note, why come to Houston to take t- take on the uh, the Houston Mambas project that will, uh, you know, that's going to after uh, going to be built from the ground up, basically. True story. Uh, from the ground up, um, we got a few of. Of the players from the other team that was here, but um, you know, uh, I was coaching the guys, and, and this opportunity came along, and it's like, you know, why not, you know, one last run type deal. Um, mm-hmm. But I've always been that, you know, all the knowledgeable female coaches, we all can't lead the game of, of women's football. You know, um, they deserve to have knowledgeable coaches on the sidelines. So uh, I figured I'd go ahead and give it another shot. And so I'll I'll be here in the springs, and then I'll be back in Virginia coaching the men in the fall. So I'll be splitting my time between here and the East Coast. Now, Coach, um, to your point, you said, you know, Houston obviously didn't fare very well in the first two seasons, so we got the man bus. Um, we got a couple, obviously, players from Houston. Your roster is uh, very intriguing. You got uh, D. Scott, some of the Team USA players, right, uh, of, of note. You got uh, – Nana Olavu, you got Ida Handel from, uh, from I believe, Sweden and Finland out there. You got a couple international players. Uh, but overall, it seems like the roster is made up of some knowledgeable players that have played on international competition or they've played on championship teams in the past. So would you say that it's not really starting from scratch in terms of knowledge? Um, I will say that would be the case in terms of them getting to know each other and, you know, playing with each other. But um, eh, rookie level, maybe not, maybe a little above that, but, you know, <laughs> one day at a time, you know. Well, you're being honest with me. That's good. So, I mean, so are you, like, building this this, this team uh, as a normal, like you would in any, any other semi-pro team where you're starting from scratch in some senses, but you're trying to get them to a, a higher level of, of – because – when you're the division you're in, you're going to be facing Kansas City. You're going to be facing Texas, and you pretty much know what they're all about. Oh yes, sir. So yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, we have no choice but to get them where they are. You know, um, they've got every position coach that they need. You know, we spend a lot of our time giving them the tools that they need to make sure the fundamentals mm-hmm. and everything are on point. And without that, they're, they're just athletes. If they don't have fundamentals in the tools, they're just out running around. So. Um, our main focus is just making sure we set them up to succeed. You know, the ex- execution is on them, but, you know, giving them everything that they need, that's on us as coaches. Now, Coach Toho, um, some of your favorite players that you see so far on the roster, I know all of them are your favorite players, but overall, um, you know, you got Shanice Cole, uh, you got D. Scott. Uh, we just mentioned the international players. Uh, you also have um, – I believe uh, returning players from um, the Heat, uh, Brooke Wilson, uh, Crystal Reed. You got the energy players. I believe there's two energy players, uh, Amber Perry, always, always, uh, you know, ball hog, trying to get to the ball and all that. 
Uh, you got uh, so tell tell us a little bit about how the roster, all these talented players are going to be mixed in to make the uh, the Mambas kind of effective in that uh, central division, especially with Texas. Uh, of course, we we've got a few key players, um, and and again, you know, it's just a matter of them bonding with each other and, and you know getting a feel for each other as far as the skill level goes. But uh, as far as my favorite player, they're all my favorite. You're not going to get anything else out of me when it comes to that. But um, as far as that. D. Scott, it's like, you know, her, her, her resume speaks for herself. Um, this kid had some, some crazy feet. And I'm old enough to say this, but she she's a very Sanders-type type of runner, and, and you can't ask for anything more than that. She's dangerous. Um, Shawnee Cole, uh, I've coached her before. Um, she mm-hmm. is just an absolute, you know, um, she gives you multiple options with, with her and her talent, her strength, her, uh, her football knowledge. So, um, it, it, it's crazy to some extent because, you know, they, they test us. <laughs> we have to make sure that we put them exactly where they are and give them exactly what they need. Um, but, uh, across the board, they're a bunch of good kids and, um, I, I think uh, they'll they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Coach, so you uh, you get Denver week one, and then you got a couple a couple. Of, let me look at the schedule here while we're sitting here. So you get, I believe, you get um, Denver week one. Then right off the bat, um, it's going to be Texas Elite, and then you got Mississippi, and you got Texas Elite, uh, Kansas City. Um, and then Kiki comes in, you know, Kiki in there, and then Tennessee. So, uh, what do you what do you think here? On what did you think of the schedule when it when it popped up in terms of you know from? I'm pretty sure you've already scoped last season, and we know Denver finished pretty strong in the playoffs. Texas, obviously, is Texas. Right. They've won the title many times. Mississippi is much improved. Kansas City also much improved in the off season. Uh, Tennessee being a new new team, just like yourselves. Right. Right. Well, you know, just just right out the gate, you know, it's a challenge right out right out the gate. There's there's no days off, you know. Um, <laughs> Monday through Sunday, <laughs> practice time, game time, you know. Um, right out the gate, like I said, we we got to work. We we got you know, <laughs> we got some stuff to do, <laughs> you know. Um, so I, I'm fine with the schedule. The schedule is is okay, you know. Um, we wouldn't want it any other way, you know. Don't want anything easy, yeah. So challenge right out, out, and we're good with that. Denver uh, added Grace Cooper, uh, Ms. Isaac from uh, Minnesota. They added a couple players internationally. Have you had a, an opportunity to kind of get some film on them from last season in terms of what they did last season? And obviously, you know what Grace Cooper is all about. Yeah, yeah, I've, I watched plenty of film, and um, I think with the way things are going and. and rosters being changed and international players being added to rosters is this is just the beginning of, of what's to come, you know. Um I think at some point every team will have a, a mixture like that just to elevate the game, period. Um, no matter what team it is. I think more and more uh we'll come along and, and go that route. Just in the next couple of seasons. Yeah. You know? Coach Soho, you've been part of various leagues in women's tackle football, IWFL, been successful in various women's tackle football leagues. Uh, what do you see with the WNFC, You're, you personally? Do you see this This is the next level and, and we're building it that in that stage? 
I would have to say yes. <laughs> most most definitely. The, the way they model things, it it is going in the right direction. You know, um, nothing will be as, as fast as we'd all like because it, it takes time for everything, but they're, mm-hmm. they're definitely on the right track. Yeah, Coach Soho, you've seen in the past where uh, the leagues kind of grow too fast. I know I've talked to Odessa before about keeping it at a 16, 17, under 20 type mentality where the markets need to be sustainable, but at the same time where the market, uh, you know, it's valuable to the league. In a, in a visibility state with, you know, an NFL sister team or some, some sort of a, you know, bonding with uh, other women's pro teams and things like that. Houston, huge city. You got the Roughnecks and the uh, XFL. You got, obviously, the NFL team. There's just a lot of a lot of on the men's side. Do you feel like at some point here the Houston Mambas will be one of those, uh, you know, teams that the, uh, the, the city of Houston is going to look at and in the same way that they look at all these other pro teams? I, I would hope so. You know, I definitely would hope so. Um, the city deserves it. Uh, the players most definitely deserve it. Mm-hmm. It's big enough for it. So, you know, uh, as long as you put a, a good team out there, the marketing is good, it'll it'll happen. You know, most definitely have now to have, have a, a decent team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that was one of the things that we looked at with the Houston Heat. It was just, you know, it was just, just – it was one of the stepping childs of the first two seasons for the WNFC, something, but the market is a really good market. Um, and I think that's where, um, you know, the effort was, you know, the team, the WNFC could have just said, Hey, we're not going to, we're not staying in Houston. We're moving somewhere else, but they did commit to Houston. So and then bringing you on board uh, with the news that you are going to lead this team, I think it gave that franchise credibility. And then Keisha and uh, DeAndre being on being ownership on that also gives it, a lot more legit credibility. So uh, do you feel like that's where the starting point is for the Mambas at this point? The, the, the you know, the st- stability at ownership and obviously, uh, you know, coaching is going to be key for the team to be successful and make an impact in, in this upcoming season. True. True. Um, those two having their name attached to this team definitely helped. Um, and mm-hmm. with that coaching is, Coaching is, is the basis for everything. Um, there, there's no way around it. You know, if you don't have decent coaching, you're, you're not going to do much of anything or make much of an impact. So um, coaching is the mainstay. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> but uh, having them go right. along, nope. it gave her, her decision to bring another Eastern team into the fold a lot easier. Uh, Coach Soho, in the past, you've been part of, you know, various leagues. In the past, have you seen accommodations uh, just like you see in this league now and in the last two years? There's owners going above and beyond to bring international talent or out-of-state talent within that, you know, six- to ten-week period. Um, I think that's kind of changed in a way where uh, it it will help uh, grow the brand, grow uh, each team in each market, and ultimately – you know, make stars, which the league really needs, uh, you know, in order for it to be visible and in order for it to get attention, uh, we really have to, you know, uh, give these players that are on the field that, that create all these amazing moments, uh, similar to the NFL. True. Um, with what's been going on with the international players and whatnot over the last couple of seasons, um, no, I haven't seen that before. Um, the last couple of years is, is pretty much – first time I've noticed it 
and, and it's a good thing. It's a, it's a real good thing. But um, as far as the marketing and all that thing that goes, they're go, doing a good job. You know, some of these girls have some pretty good sponsorships and, and whatnot, and and that's a good start. You know, I think uh, keeping it small, keeping her league small for for now, will allow them to build build that that market behind them to where they can get something out of the game. I think um. And a lot of things can be justified that way as long as it's small. When you uh, have a league and it's, it's huge and it has so many teams in it, but yet the players aren't getting anything from it, and then you can't duck that question. You can't, can't get away from that. You have to be able to explain that. It has to be some kind of transparency, you know what I mean? So um, mm-hmm. I think keeping it small and whatnot and doing what they're doing, the way they're doing it, is it's justifiable and you can understand it. Coach Soho, the, the failure of the IWFL, what would you say would be, you know, one if you had to pinpoint something, what would be the a failure of the WFL, uh, IWFL, which lasted a long time, 10 years running, 11 years running, compared to the WNFC four years in? In my opinion, it was just too large of a scale and not enough, not enough business-minded focus. And I think that hurts, uh, that's hurt women's tackle football in, the, in, in, you know, in the past seasons. Well, you know, I, I really can't speak on the failures because I, I really don't know. Um, anybody will tell you one thing about me. I focus on coaching, and I leave the logistics to those who make those decisions. So I, I really mm-hmm. couldn't tell you guys. I just I didn't pay attention to it because it was beyond me, and, you know, I'm I'm always focused on the players themselves. Now, the players getting NILs uh, deals, uh, not just you know, not just for the college players anymore. Uh, anybody can get it. Pretty much, you know, anybody that's, especially in women's tackle football. So some players have have taken advantage of, you know, local sponsorships, getting uh, you know, nil nil deals to help themselves through the season. So individually, I think every player in the WNFC understands that they they have to they have to do that for themselves, not just to finish the season, but also for uh, to benefit them in some way. Also as Maybe they grow their, uh, you know, fanfare. They 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 understand that. Um, I think some of them haven't quite grasped the whole social media thing yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what they can and can't post because you know uh, a lot more people see their their social media than they think. People who make those kind of decisions. So I think uh, just getting a hold of the social media is, is the biggest thing for these guys. You know, they're young. <laughs> And they grew up on social media, so you know every thought, every every you know laugh or whatever. First thing they do is go and and post it, and so they have to get used to staying away from that because you know you, in order to build a brand, you got to be brandable. So um, with the whole nil thing, I, I think is excellent. Long time coming, long time overdue, but you know these these ladies have to uh, put the work in themselves for the most part. You know they have to go out and find that. Stuff, whatever doesn't come from ownership or you know, <clears throat> excuse me, their staff, they've got to do their own work as well. So I think uh, initiative is is one of the bigger things that they uh, don't take. So everything's everything's out there, everything's within their reach if, if they just you know pursue mm-hmm. it. Now, coach, uh, Houston, new project, you're involved with it now. Uh, first first season in here. In terms of in terms of just what you've seen so far, I've seen uh, all these videos in training, uh, all these different methods in coaching, you know, to get them ready physically, mentally, 
Um, you obviously have uh, certain resources that they have as well. Um, do you think uh, at this point it's all helpful to you too? Like uh, some of those things are beneficial to, to get those players up to speed mentally on, and not just physically? Of course, of course. Um, the game changes every day, and we have to change it. It's from coaching to playing, you know, we we all have to be open to it. Um, you know, and with these ladies, it's like beyond anything and before anything else, discipline is first. So, you know, I'm trying to instill a whole lot of discipline in them, and they'll see the rewards, you know, from that discipline. Mm-hmm. And it's part they they bought into it, and you know, they're moving right along. Uh, Coach, uh, the the league is growing. Seventeen teams. They dropped off a couple teams, uh, but the, you know the division you're in is going to be a very tough division. We're looking forward to see, you know, uh, week one against Denver. That's the basically the marquee game. Uh, you know, the Denver Bandits coming off a you know nice little season last season, and now we're going up against Houston, who's rebirth. Um, I think all the WNFC fans uh, are excited to see what Houston's going to be all about. Tennessee, obviously, also. Uh, as a new team, and then, you know, going up against Denver, and then you get uh, Texas Elite. So uh, week two, uh, Coach, against Texas, you know what they're all about, Bushman and company. Uh, they lost, I think, Dillo. But the, you, you never know if Dillo's, you know, under a sneaky contract midseason or something, something <laughs> happens to that line. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but you know what I mean. Uh, so Texas yeah. is Texas, and you've seen them on film various times. You've seen their championship films, uh, their, you know, all that. Um, do you feel like, at this point, um, you know, you see anything that you have instilled so far uh, in terms of the playbook that's going to be able to maybe get you to that to that level of competition with the Texas? Well, it's, it's going to be a track meet is all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely going to be a track meet. Um, you know, I, I can't really say much about the elite. They are who they are. They, they put it out mm-hmm. front. Everybody knows, you know. They're sitting above. <laughs> we're all chasing. We're all climbing. You know. So mm-hmm. uh, the second, we'll see how we we measure up with them. But um, you know, with or without Dillo, that doesn't change their their level of play. You know, they they're where everybody else wants to be. So um, until that day <laughs> that somebody's able to climb up there and sit next to them or push them off, we'll all be sitting back watching. <laughs> you know, and preparing. You know, so um. No, it, it, it'll be a track meet. Definitely be a good game. Coach, I'm looking forward. Coach, I, I'm looking, I'm looking forward, forward to, to I'm looking forward to Denver. Looking forward to Denver, uh, matching up with Denver, and then definitely yeah. week two. Looking forward to week two uh, because Coach Soho against Odessa Jenkins, right? This is what this is what it's all about. Uh, you know, a friendly yeah. friendly gathering, right? <laughs> a family gathering. Yeah, I can like gathering. kids for you on that kid for years, and, and we're pretty much family. So it's, it's, it's hugs when we first see each other, and then it's business after that. You sound like Rick Rasmussen. Once, once, the, once the whistle blows, it's, it's for the win. <laughs> well, that's the way it is, you know. That's, that's yeah. most definitely the way it is. Um, siblings fight. They will fight until the hills come out, but, you know, letting anybody mm-hmm. else from outside that mess with your siblings and it's a whole new world. So but yeah, you know, it's all love until the whistle blows. All right, coach. So if you do get the opportunity to take down uh the elite, uh you know that's gonna go in the history books. You know what I mean? It's gonna be edged in the history books. 
Houston Mambas defeating Texas Elite in season, not in the playoffs, not in the championship, in season. It's a huge deal. <laughs> One game at a time, Oscar. One game at a time. All right. Well, I'm, I'm just, you know I'm hyped. You, you know us media people, I, we're up for the story. You know what I mean? Oh, of course, of course. I got to hype you up, Coach. I mean, you're going up against this big juggernaut, and the, and the 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 Mamba bike strike. So I, I should just give it to you already. The Mamba bike strike. The that's what you want to go into in Texas. Uh, but it's gonna be exciting oh. to to see you and uh, go up against Denver week one. Obviously, you get Texas right. League week two. Uh, very exciting. Uh, two weeks out, and we're gonna be we're we're gonna be able to see what you uh, have put together and established in Houston within two weeks. If we have exciting ball, close games, great matchups, that's what we want. And if that's happening, then, you know, we already know uh, what you're all about in terms of, you know, getting everybody up to par. So the level of play um, in terms of the league, in other words, in terms of each franchise, and that's the expectation. And I think that's the reason we're driven to it. You know, like we watch the XFL right now, you know, two weeks out or whatever, and it's, you know, it's, it's somewhat interesting because the rules and our, everything else. But overall, you know, when fans watch football, they want exciting, competitive football, right? Am I agree? True story. And so that's what we need to get from, uh, from week one. I think exciting. Uh, it's going to be very exciting. So anything else that I didn't ask you uh, that you, uh, you know, you guys need help with sponsorships, uh, go to HoustonMambas.com or, Anything that you want to tell the fans about uh, Houston and how we can help you out or how the fans can help? Of course, across the board, any, anyone is can. Um, they, get, they can all use sponsorships. So, yeah, none of them are going to tell you no. So, you know, even if it's the, not the Mambas, any team that, you know, you're local to, you know, <laughs> that's all it is. It's just supporting your, your local team. It doesn't have to be the Mambas per se. Just support your local team. But other than that, you know me, Oscar. You know I'm a person of few words. Oh, yeah. And I appreciate you coming making the time, uh, especially with your busy schedule and everything that's happening. Um, So, I mean, if it isn't the Mambas in the final, Coach Soho, let's put you on the spot before I let you go. Which team will be in the finals in your eyes, besides if the Mambas did not exist right now? And Texas is not an option. Texas is not an option. There, there's been so many changes, so many movements going on. That will be a tough one, actually. It's up for grabs, dude. Any given Saturday, you know, in just any given day, you know, when your number's up, your number's up. So it, it could, it could be any team, guys. You know, I wouldn't even leave Mississippi out of the equation. So things, things are going on. Um, there's been some heavy movements going on. So um, it could be anybody. It could be anybody at this point. That's why it's exciting for us to kind of like ponder and figure out who's going to be, what roster is going to blend so well, right? Who's going to be the electric All offense? Right. Who's going to be the, the amazing stout defense in season? So looking forward to 2023 WNFC. Uh, Coach Soho, thank you for making the time. Looking forward to what Houston's going to be able to, you know, show us in week one and obviously going up against Texas in week two. So kind of excited to see those two matchups. So thanks again for making the time. Appreciate it. You're welcome, Oscar. Appreciate the call, dude. Have a great night. Safe travels, okay? You too, guys. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. That was uh, Coach uh, Chanel Soho Tillman Brooks of the Houston Mambos. And she's going to be taking on Denver week one and then obviously gets 
the champs week two. So I'm very interested to see how she's going to put together that roster to stay competitive with Denver and Houston. And we already know what Denver is all about from last year. They've added some pieces this year. You just talked to Grace Cooper before uh, Coach Soho. And then obviously Texas Elite has uh, adjusted themselves in terms of bringing in new talent. Uh, and they're obviously going to put the best foot forward. They've lost some people, but they they've still pretty much have the core nucleus in place. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that all those things change in that sense. So let's go into the uh, second hour, and we're going to be talking exclusively WFA, WNFC schedule, first look. Uh, we're not going to dive in really heavily into the rosters because uh, the rosters are not finalized. So we're all, all the stuff that we're talking about is spe- speculation in terms of what players and what the players we just named with both interviewees in terms of who's going to gel, who's not going to gel, international additions and things like that. So it's really interesting to see. So let's, let's get into the, uh, the discussion of the WFA, WNFC. Uh, is that you, uh, Mark? How's it going? Yeah, Oscar, hey, welcome back. Hey, it's exciting. Uh, what, a, what a vacation we took, Mark. Right. <laughs> yeah, a lot <laughs> happened. Let's just say a lot happened. And, uh, you know, first night back in a long time, you're already in mid-season form. Um, you know, very impressive uh, interviewing with, you know, Grace Cooper, of course. Uh, that's a story, I, you know, we've all been waiting months to hear from her. And, uh, but, you know, you could not knock down Coach Soho off of this mellow groove that she just, oh, no. she just Coach lives Coach. by. Oh yeah, yeah. She's, yeah. she's one of a kind. I, I love her. I love her bringing her on. Uh, she's just a straight shooter. She knows what's going on. She's not going to get into a dilemma. On, on <laughs> she's just, hey, this is what it is. You'll see it when when it comes up on game day, right? She's like, just going to happen. Uh, but you know what, Mark? Right. I just teased her, didn't I? Just teased her. Hey, if you could take down Texas Elite, that'll be the biggest story in WNFC history. She didn't want to go for it. She's like, no, no, it's okay. It's like we're not. I don't want to. I don't want to go there yet in terms of a media aspect. <laughs> yeah, no. She. I mean, does not really. You know, she deals with the tangible, the things that mm-hmm. you know are right in front of her. She says she focuses on her players. That's yep. the role that that she just has committed herself to, right? And it permeates mm-hmm. everything. You know, even an interview with you, where she could step back and maybe speculate on this thing or that other thing, and but you know. When she says, you know, I actually don't really think about that sort of stuff, or I don't really know about that stuff. She mm-hmm. just says it, and I love that, right? You know, I don't yeah, know, straight, or I don't care, are fact. perfectly good answers in my book. Oh, no, no. And we know what she's made of. Uh, we know what she's capable of. You know, like I said, going back to her IWFL days, she's obviously been very successful in semi-pro men's as well over in Virginia with various championships to her credit. Oh, yeah. um, so that's why I was I wanted to bring her on because the marquee matchup, I think it is Denver-Houston uh, because we have no idea what Houston's going to look like, and we already know what Denver's looks like, and we kind of get a feel like adding a Grace Cooper, an Aaron uh, Mizaizic, adding the Australians and uh, the returning Mexican uh, players down south, uh, including their own mix locally. It's kind of interesting to see what game one's going to look like in terms of the matchup, which is Denver-Houston. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, in the WNFC, there, you know, there are a few very interesting matchups the first week. I mean, first week is always really exciting, right? No matter what matchup you are, you're looking mm-hmm. at, 
But in terms of like off season acquisitions and um, you know, you, you got to look at the Denver bandits and, you know, the personnel they've added, you know, last year for my money, you know, they were the most improved team from the year before they really have something happening mm-hmm. there. So I'm interesting to see the continuation of what they do in this season. And of course with the Houston Mambas, you know, technically a new team, there was a team in Houston uh, that just weren't really up to snuff. And now you have this new organization, new people, all these really high caliber coaches. And I don't know, I haven't seen the roster myself. Um, so, you know, I don't know the totality of the talent that they have on their roster, but obviously, you know, their story makes for a compelling, you know, week one showdown with Denver. That's going to be interesting. Uh, Mark, a couple names that just so you know, Nana Olavu uh, from uh, obviously from overseas, Ida Handel from mm-hmm. Sweden. And then you got Shinise right. Cole that she talked about, D. Scott mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they got some right. playmakers, Amber Perry. Uh, so there's, there's, some, there's some pieces together that could surprise, uh, you know, Denver and Texas Elite put together correctly in, in terms of a game plan. So I'm looking forward to that right now. Let's bring in our other co-host here. I think that's Terry. Let's see, Terry. It um, is me. So, Terry, I just got it out of Coast Toho. Your first loss will be week one. She just told me oh, before okay. she came on. Well, that's great. Was... That's good to know. That's good to know. I'll, uh, I'll pass that on to um, all the Denver Bandits, and we, we, we might just skip the trip. You know what I mean? We might just you know save our gas, save our money, and just not even venture down to Houston if that's the case. Okay, don't be a Browns fan so soon. Come on, you you know you got to compete. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but uh, really, really interesting, Terry. Are uh, she looking forward to the matchup? You guys are looking forward to the matchup. They got some playmakers. You guys have added some pieces to it. Uh, so I was telling Mark right now, it's a very, very good matchup. Uh, game one, Denver. We have no idea what you're going to be about, right? With all the new pieces, Houston. We have no idea, right? Even with all those new pieces, so kind of interesting matchup week one yeah um i think uh you know in women's football there's always going to be turnover with coaches and players um so you know denver has some new players and new coaches and houston's a brand new team uh houston's done a phenomenal job of recruiting athletes um to bolster their roster in, in year one so i'm very impressed with that but um you know like you said you got to put it all together and um Week one will tell us a lot. There's three matchups in the WNFC, us versus Houston, Texas versus Mississippi, and Utah versus San Diego. I think those three games um, will tell us a lot about how the season is going to go um, in the league. So I can't wait, man. There's a lot of, a lot of work left to do, but some pretty, like, like Mark said, pretty intriguing storylines, if you ask me, for week one. Yeah, and just so, just so we're on facts, she did not say any of that, okay? So you're just your note, Terry. <laughs> No, I've already sent the message, so it's too late. But thanks. <laughs> All right. No, I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, let's dive into uh, let's dive into like first looks. I wanted just to give us kind of like a, you know just kind of our thoughts in terms of what both leagues are going to look like in terms of the schedule, in terms of breakdown on the schedule. You know, six weeks in, we already know uh, we're going to focus on WFA Pro for the most part in season. 
So anybody in D2, D3 didn't, doesn't feel like we're going to dive into them as often. We will dive into D2, D3, uh, you know, D2 a little bit more in, in, within the next couple, couple weeks. D3, we normally wait until the, you know, everything unravels, and then we start to see the real pieces uh, for playoffs. We've done that every season. So, you know, don't, don't what do they say, don't at me, and don't, don't put any negative comments on us. <laughs> Uh, but uh, that's what we're gonna. That's the route we're gonna take, basically. Uh, trying to focus on the two uh, major leagues in terms of their top level. Uh, in terms of top level, that's what we want to try to focus every week. Um, so, uh, let's start with you, Mark. Where uh, WFA? Uh, let's. Where some of the key games that I kind of wrote down, or kind of the key matchups that I wrote down for me was uh, week one was St. Louis, Minnesota, DC, Pittsburgh. Uh, intriguing would be uh, Mile High versus Nevada. Right. Um, I, I I pretty much agree agree with that. Um, I definitely feel like the Pittsburgh DC game will kind of tell us where where DC is at in all of this. They mm-hmm. really struggled last uh, last season, the last couple of seasons. Um, and, uh, you know, Pittsburgh has come on strong. Of course, uh, in Pittsburgh, when we talk about, you know, off-season storylines, you know, they lost a really big part of their organization in uh, the passing of Franco Harris. And, um, you know, any, any way you look at it, like, that is going to have an impact on, on that squad. Um, you know, he's financially you know, co-owner of the team, obviously had a lot of influence, um, you know, in the game, you know, not just women's football, but certainly for the Pittsburgh passion, you know, um, he definitely, you know, gave that team a lot of support. Um, but Teresa Kahn is still there, and um, it's my understanding that she is really kind of recommitted herself to the team and the game, uh, she needs to fill that void, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and the loss of such a, um, you know, a, a titan, really. Um, so, so that's a really interesting storyline for that game. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that one. The Franco season? Can we name it now? Do you think Pittsburgh's going to be that that um, emotionally prepared and committed? You know, to put the, to put Pittsburgh on in a, in a national stage once again. Every team finds uh, ways to motivate themselves, mm-hmm. and certainly, you know, with Franco being, you know, just a huge part of the identity of, of that team, you know, you you can't help but feel like the team wants to make it a part of, you know, uh, of their storyline this year. I mean, it's, it's got to be for Franco, right? Um, oh, yeah. but the, you know, the reality is they're built, you know, they're trying to build up, you know, their program to compete with Boston in, uh, the national conference of WSA pro. So, you know, they got to do, you know, obviously got to do the work and, um, they want to return to that, uh, you know, national conference championship game. And, um, so, you know, the first week against DC is going to be the first step for them. Terry, uh, you saw Mall High versus Den- uh, Nevada last year uh, live in a couple, uh, one game. 
And so uh-huh. where, do you, where do you feel like them two at? Because they're going to be pretty much neck and neck all season. Nevada's going to be – their schedule really is uh, – There's you know, both teams' schedules really kind of like they're going to face each other more than once, uh, kind of like Cali War versus Nevada. It's more of a regional rivalry. Um, so yeah. I, I think everybody's question is, is Malahai ready for D1? That's the question. Mm. Well – I might not be the best person to ask this question to since I used to coach them. But uh, I would say that that week one matchup is intriguing because, mm-hmm. um, you know, for, like I said, from year to year, there's a lot of turnover with all teams. Um, like we hear about, you know, a Nevada player going to play for Cali. And um, I just saw that uh, Leilani, one of their star linebackers uh, from Mile High, signed a, a – a deal to play, I think, flag football in college for Katie Sowers. And so, yeah, if you guys, on, did, on, if on, you guys missed it, you can go to the hub, facebook.com forward slash Grand Beauties, what uh, Coach Lister's talking about. You can check it out there, the story. Yeah, so it, I don't know if that's after this season or what the timing is with that. Um, mm-hmm. But if she's not playing for them, that would be a huge loss. And But, yeah, I mean, year to year, you're going to have turnover. You're going to have certain players that don't come back or retire especially since they won D2 last year. Um, so it's hard to say what the makeup of their team is, um, but also the same thing with Nevada, right? Nevada has been a good team for like the past five years, but they kind of did falter in D1 um, last year for the first time. Like the, their first mm-hmm. first year in D1, they kind of faltered and um, they weren't able to get to where they wanted to. And so I'm very intrigued to see how they, they – how they look in, in the year following, right? Because a season like last season for Nevada, for for them to be disappointed by the results, that can kind of make or break a team, right? So that can either yeah. tear you apart and you have, you know, 12 players leave or, you know, five starters mm-hmm. leave, or it can unite you um, the opposite in a, in a good way. And, uh, you know, you can come back bit bigger and better than ever. So um, I wish I knew the answer, but we're going we're gonna to find out week one. So that'll be good to watch. And the reason I bring it up is because, to, that, to your point, uh, they, they weren't as good as, as a D2 was the previous, and obviously Mile High is moving up that uh, next level. So we, so we yeah. could see a real bad year for, for Mile High, right, technically, if, if they're not ready for the pro level, or we could see a re- resurgence from, by Nevada. So really interesting. Uh, Mark, week two, uh, Boston, D.C. Uh, so Boston gets that first week off. And then uh, DC gets uh, gets invited to the uh, the reality check, I guess. So hopefully they don't they don't fall in uh, in Pittsburgh because that would not be good for them. Zero and two. Yeah, that that would be a tough way to to open up the season uh, if you're DC. But they do get a bye. DC does in week three. So mm-hmm. um, you know if if things don't really work out um, well in the first couple of weeks they can have a, a week to, you know, to work on work on the things that they, they've figured out that they need to work on before they, you know, face Tampa would be who they see in week four. So, but, yeah, um, you know, Boston is, is you know, positioned again to um, reach the conference finals. Um, they you know, have lots of, you know, they have a number of returning veterans as usual and a strong rookie class um, mm-hmm. that are getting trained up. So, um, you know, and, you know, this has been the marquee rivalry 
in the WFA, Boston versus TC. Uh, but it's been lagging a little bit the last, you know, the last couple years. Boston has, um, you know, clearly been the better team. Um, and that's not without some some good play from the playmakers on D.C. You know, we've definitely been able to see that. So, um, you know, we know that they still have a spark in there. But they really need to turn it around. And so, you know, when you face Boston in week two, that week one game you have, like you, you have to, you know, make some strides in that game, you know, so you can be ready. I think uh, Pittsburgh maybe replaces D.C. in that aspect of, of competition for Boston because I think if Pittsburgh does come out a little stronger, they were, ver- they were really good last year offensively and they had a pretty decent defense. They, they kind of stayed in that level with Boston for the first two quarters, but they weren't able to do four quarters, right? So I think right. that's going to be the, the issue. Uh, D.C. unfortunately had, you know, circumstances where injuries affected them the last two seasons and really put out a lot of their uh, main playmakers. So there was injury issues there that obviously hindered them in that one, in the oh, rivalry. Yeah. Um, yep. Um, uh, Terry, Nevada, Nevada, Cali, we're, you know, this is a rivalry, just like Boston, D.C. on the East Coast. Now this is Nevada, Cali. Um, there's no love loss here. Everybody, you know, Nevada obviously knows that, that Cali's reputation, if they take them down in season, obviously that's a, a bonus for them. But this is the rivalry on the West Coast that we everybody wants to see, and they're going to be facing each other a couple times. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a pretty cool dynamic that's formed, right? Because if if you mm-hmm. if you ask that same question a few years ago, there there wasn't really much to challenge Kelly War on the West Coast. Um, so mm-hmm. you know, huge huge shout out for Nevada being able to you know win a D three ship and win a D two ship and now be in D one. Hitting two D one is half the battle. Um, the other half of the battle is competing in D1. And so um, Nevada's beaten Cali War. Nevada's had some really good games against Cali War. But it kind of sounds like Cali War has done, done a good job recruiting this offseason, so I expect them to be better than last year. And so that makes the rivalry even even better. So we'll see how it shakes out. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, regard, like I don't want, I wouldn't be surprised if Cali wins both, Nevada wins both, they split. Um, but I think it'll be a, I think there'll be good games regardless. So it should be really fun to watch. Mark, where do we put the Inferno? Uh, every year we put the Inferno against Boston. It never works out. DC somewhat doesn't work out. Uh, Inferno literally is one of those you know isolated teams in terms of the pro division. Not, not much, not really on the East Coast or the West Coast. It's literally isolated on the South. Uh, where do you, where do you where do you see the Inferno then? They're they're Going up against Detroit, uh, that's the, the markup that I circle. Uh, and then they obviously face, uh, I think, Alabama in week, uh, I want to say week six or week five. Uh, yeah, in uh, week five. And so speaking of Alabama, you know, um, geographically, it's a pretty good addition to WFA Pro because mm-hmm. it does give, you know, uh, Tampa a team that's a little bit closer, right, to, to play. Um, mm-hmm. someone who's, you know, um, in, in, the, in the pro division. Um, but I was really surprised, though, to see that Tampa kind of had basically the same schedule that they've had the last few years, you know, playing, you know, against Pittsburgh and – or not Pittsburgh, but, you know, D.C. and Boston, who they faced a couple of times. I, 
I guess really what surprised me was that I didn't see a matchup between Tampa and St. Louis or Tampa and Houston, um, a couple of the other teams that, you know, uh, I, I feel like are kind of – Tampa's kind of more on their, their level, right, in terms of, um, you know, I, I, don't, I really don't know why they're flying up to Boston. I'll put it that way. Um, when there are other teams that they could have competitive games with that are closer, right? You know, especially Houston, uh, the Houston energy. So, um, but, you know, as far as their competitiveness goes, you know, I, I think they'll be competing with D.C. Um, for and Detroit for that uh, a playoff spot. And, um, you know, the, uh, the Massey's – you know, when we talk about playoffs in the WFA, the Masseys come into play. So um, as far as that goes, Tampa does have five pro matchups on their schedule, uh, which is, you know, among the most um, in the league. Uh, Boston, D.C., and Pittsburgh have six pro games. They have all pro schedules. Um, and Tampa is the one team that, that has five. Uh, other teams have four and three, and with the exception of Alabama's, like kind of the outlier, being the late ad- addition, has only one pro game, and, and that's mm-hmm. against Tampa. So um, that's where that's where I think the the schedules. I mean, I don't know how that was done, but uh, it benefits Alabama really to kind of like, you know, get two wins. I mean, get uh, what six wins, maybe lose two, and they they, they look pretty where everybody else is just uh, neck and neck and, and just grinding it out and grudging it every week. Yeah. But, you know, the, uh, the Matthews might come to, you know, bite them in the butt mm-hmm. as it were, as, as happens often to teams who, um, you know, aren't playing the, the strongest schedule that they could. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, being kind of a late entry, I mean, switched leagues, you know, a little bit late and they had to, you know, change the schedule, adjust the schedule to include them, um, you know, maybe you can't get what you get. But I will say that right. and it's interesting for everybody who follows the uh, WFA Pro to note that the Derby City Dynamite is actually playing a pro schedule compared mm-hmm. to other teams. They are playing against, you know, four, they have four pro-level games. If you, you count Alabama twice and then St. Louis twice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they might be competing in Division Two, but you look at that schedule, that's a Division One schedule. So, kind of, you know, if, if you just put a different lens on it, you might also be able to say that Alabama's actually got, you know, three pro, you know, pro games. If, if, you, if you sort of, like, on the low – count Derby City yeah, as I mean, DCD is top-level D2. I mean, that's yeah. that's your point, right? So top-level D2 at some point will be like Nevada wanting to go to that D1, right? So that's yeah, still absolutely. a good schedule. But, uh, I mean, hopefully uh, it, it's, just, it's just different because we see – we don't – like to your point now, we don't see DC – we didn't see DCD as a real competitive – Thing in pro, but they are a very competitive right. team in D two. So there it is, um, right. Terry. Um, what do I what do I have done? Oh, Terry, 
Uh, Minnesota losing Cooper, uh, White, everybody mm-hmm. else, and then St. Louis uh, back in the mix here. Um, kind of a rivalry there um, between the two teams. So are we going to see a drop-off in Minnesota, or are we going to see, like, a resurgence in St. Louis? Um, I think a little bit of both. That's just my opinion. Yeah. You know, I'm just Terry Lister. I'm just some guy on a couch. But uh, I think, <laughs> you know, uh, Grace it's Coopers don't couch, grow on Terry. trees. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I like all the, all three of the Minnesota players that came over to Denver. Um, I love having them on the team. They're awesome teammates, really good players. Um, so I'm excited for Denver to have them. But also, you know, you have to wonder – like how how does that how does that affect Minnesota? Is is Minnesota able to plug and play somebody that has a similar skill set or is um, as talented as you know Cooper at running back or you know Aaron McIsaac at quarterback, Janessa White at you know tight end, um, all those all those instances. So those players are good enough that I that I would be concerned if I was Minnesota about losing them, and so we'll see how much that actually affects them on the field. But the counterpoint is St. Louis. St. Louis didn't look like themselves. Didn't look like themselves the first half of last year, and then by the end of the year, they were able to figure mm-hmm. it out, which kind of sucked because Mark, like Mark said, the Massey's Massey rankings can kind of screw people out of the playoff picture, and I felt like St. Louis was one of the teams that should have been in the playoffs based on just like how good they were and how they could compete with people. Um, but because they struggled in the beginning of the season, that, that, that wasn't in the cards for them. So I think that they'll be good from the from the beginning of the season this time, and I would expect St. Louis to win the game. Um, but, you know, football hasn't played on paper, so we'll see how it plays out. But St. Louis, I think, has a very strong pedigree. So does Minnesota. But I, I maybe you guys can correct me, but I haven't heard about any St. Louis players uh, switching teams or getting exiled from their former team. And so that's that's the thing that they don't have in Normally St. Louis is a really small roster, so it's you right. know, recruiting that is kinda of like a, a premium, you know what I mean? You don't want to lose players yeah. and it's kinda of bad when you lose players to injuries in, in itself. But you know, the core's mm-hmm. still there. Taylor Hayes still there, uh Jamie Gall's still there, uh the couple mm-hmm. defensive they've always been good defensively. So uh the expectation is obviously uh, you know, what are we gonna see? Are we gonna see, you know, the, the St. Louis back in form as they normally are when they were in D2, very competitive and, and going to the finals. And then Minnesota, we have, like I said, question marks there in terms of offensively what they're going to look like. Defensively, they normally, they're pretty decent. So offensively mm-hmm. is the question in terms of the pieces that they, they lost. Um, Mark, um, Dallas elite claims to be elite, but we've not seen it in a couple of seasons. I think Arlington has kind of stepped up in that realm too. So, uh, the DFW matchup here. I mean, uh, Dallas has, <laughs> Dallas has struggled. New coaching. They look great on social media, right? They're they're training their butts off, doing what they got to do. Arlington, very impressive the last two seasons. Yeah, I mean, I I think if yeah, to anybody that follows uh, the Dallas Elite Mustangs on social media, um, you know they have a they have a new attitude and, and a new outlook. And um, I'm assuming that uh, that's because um, you know they've they've got new coaches and new blood in in uh, mm-hmm. in the organization. So um, so that's something to 
be excited about, but at the same time, you know, as Terry just said, you know, games aren't, you know, they're not one on paper and they're not one on social media. So, you know, we have to, you know, see it on the field. And to your point, uh, you know, Arlington, uh, the Arlington impact have, have been the stronger of the two uh, teams in that area in the WFA. Um, Arlington's been to the playoffs, uh, you know, for quite a few years in a row now, and they played competitively against teams like Minnesota and against Cali. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's a big home, you know, kind of hometown matchup there down in Texas. Let's see, um, you know, Dallas is going to see where they stand against their kind of cross-town rivals. We have uh, Detroit rebranded from the Dark Angels, uh, and, you know, they've, they've been basically re- rebranded in that way for the, uh, in terms of the Venom. And then we have the comp- competition where they faced uh, um, Boston last year, you know, pretty well. I mean, they didn't, they didn't fare well, but, you know, they played pretty tough ball against Boston. Uh, this this Detroit-Pittsburgh rivalry, I think, is a really good uh, thing for them because they, you know, they, they're obviously, they know each other. They're, they always, they're always playing very competitive, similar to what a Boston-D.C. matchup would be. So I'm looking forward to, you know, Detroit-Pittsburgh uh, in, uh, I believe, week five. Yeah, that one, um, that one's interesting. Like you said, they have history. They've played some really good games against each other. Um, I'm not sure how that's going to go because you're talking about Pittsburgh versus Detroit, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what you guys were talking about with Teresa Khan um, returning in full force for Pittsburgh, that's a really big deal. She's one of the you know, most well-renowned female coaches in the game, in my opinion. So that's going to give Pittsburgh a huge boost um, from my perspective. Um, from the other side, Detroit, Detroit plays, you know, tough football. You can count on that. Um, they, they have a pretty decent-sized roster and some talent. But there's two things. So the first thing is, unless social media lied to me, um, Detroit lost one of their best players to the Houston Mambas, um, her name is Clarissa, is it Tullis? Um, oh, and she was a running back. Yeah, yeah she, she, she ran for a lot of yards last season for Detroit. Um, so I, I believe she's playing for the Mambas in WNFC now. So that's, that's obviously a big loss. And then secondly, there's a new team in Detroit called the Detroit Prowl um, that's in the USWFL. And their mm-hmm. owner is a former coach of the Detroit Venom. And so mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how that affects the Venom because, you know, Detroit's a big city, but there isn't millions of female football players. So since there isn't a plethora of female football players to pick from, um, that has to hurt Detroit Venom's numbers. How much it hurts them remains to be seen. Um, but I'm curious to see how that all plays out because I know I know the Prowl has done a good job of recruiting and they've had some. I think that that's the question mark that we need to kind of re- reassess there in terms of like what's going to happen. Like I said with Pittsburgh, in terms right. of how they're going to get off the blocks, um, if they're going to be competitive, mm-hmm. if they're going to you know doing the Franco, they're going into the Franco mode, which is to try to uh, you know make the season a memorable season, maybe make it to the finals or get yourself into Canton, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's exciting. And then, uh, Mark, let's talk Houston Energy. Upgraded. We know what they're all about in D2. Not scared of anybody. High tempo. You know, 
We know what Coach uh, Wings is all about. Uh, looking forward to see what his uh, energy does in, in pro. As am I. You know, I, I've been kind of waiting for this day to to happen mm-hmm. for a couple of years now. I've been eyeing the Houston Energy for, you know, uh, WFA Pro for at least a couple of years now. Um, not because they've been, like, completely dominant at the D2 level, just that, you know, they are, you know, they're one of the more, the most uh, recognized brands. They've been around for a long time, since 2000. Mm-hmm. Right, maybe even 1999. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the kind of you know I think the WFA would want to have in their elite level. Um, so I am very excited about it, and I think they've made some strides. You know, certainly you know they have a long history of being very competitive. You know, they have championships, and um, you know they've gone to championships, all that stuff. Uh, but as of late, it's one of those you know what have you done for me lately? You know, they really need to just, like, get over the hump. They've definitely made some strides. They have some good coaching. They have some good players. Um, but they haven't really quite put it all together yet. Um, so I'm hoping that WFA Pro is a good spot for them um, to compete and get better. Um, this, is the, this will be their first season uh, at the pro level. Um, they are facing Dallas and Minnesota and Arlington. Those are their three mm-hmm. pro-level games. And then they have two Division Two games against uh, the Austin Outlaws. So it's, you know, so they'll see some familiar faces from Division Two as well. Um, and I, 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 think, I think you and I, in fact, have uh, Houston uh, Energy probably deserves, is more of a, a pro team than, uh, the Dallas elite were over the last couple of years. So we finally get to see, you know, we finally get to see what that looks like. So I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see what WFA pro is all about. This is our first look. Once the rosters come out, we'll start diving into, uh, like Terry says, more of a, you know, critique in terms of what the roster is and what the additions are. Uh, you know, how many all Americans are coming back on the roster? You know, how many players are obviously uh, over five year seasons, um, it, it makes a big difference in women's tackle football when everybody's over five years in, or more in seasons because they're, you don't have to teach it from the ground up. They're very astute in terms of the level of play now. Um, just like Grace Cooper said, you know, you come to an environment where there's not much rookies and there's just a lot of veterans or somebody that is knowledgeable with, with uh, playing football. It's uh, Obviously, the playbook opens up in, in a different aspect of it and it also makes it more competitive. So, um Let's move on, Terry, to the WNFC. Um, Nenji got, uh, unfortunately got into a car accident, and I hope she's better and recovering. So that's a big blow for can- uh, San Diego in terms of a quarterback upgrade. So we won't know what that's going to happen, and we, we don't know if she'll be back uh, before, you know, in three weeks from today and, and when she'll be cleared or not. And then Utah, new coaching staff. Rasmussen's gone. There's no uh, Bean. Uh, there's obviously some veterans left there. We have no idea what's going to happen in San Diego. Uh, so there, I mean, there's two question marks on both sides now. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to, um, actually shout out to coach, Co- coach Brandon Archie. Um, he was the head coach of San Diego rebellion last season and he decided to step away in the off season. And he, um, I believe he actually got a 
coaching opportunity, um, which is an upgrade, uh, coaching at a college in Texas. So um, congrats to him. But we were talking about that. Um, I, I was just – I called him yesterday just to confirm that he's not coaching, uh, just to see if he didn't, did, didn't change his mind. But like you said, Ninji getting in a car accident um, is big for them because she typically plays a huge role on their team. Um, from a coaching and playing standpoint. So, you mm-hmm. know, she's been their starting quarterback since they've been created and, um, you know, just a really big role. So since since she's probably – I'm not sure if she'll be playing this year or if, like, all the medical stuff is going to keep her out. Um, what I assume will happen, and I'm usually more right than wrong, not to brag, but it's true, um, I think Ninji will be calling plays for the offense – because I don't think they had an offense coordinator in place. And so I think the plan was for her to play quarterback and call the plays on the field. So since she won't mm-hmm. be playing on the field, at least at first, um, obviously they're going to be grooming the backup quarterback to, to step in for her. Uh, but I can, I can assume pretty confidently that she'll be calling plays from the sidelines. And that's the way. But then, like you said, the flip side is, is Utah. Utah has a brand-new head coach, my boy Jasper, He's a good friend of mine. He's taken over for Rasmussen. Um, Rick's been there since year one. He's he's very much, you know, when you think of Utah Falcons, you think of Rick Rasmussen, and um, they've had a, a really awesome history so far. But he, uh, you know, Rick decided to step away, and I think he's at peace with that decision. So now it's Jasper's, you know, Jasper's uh, vote vote to uh, steer. So. I'm interested to see how that looks, right? I'm I'm pretty sure Jasper runs triple option, just not, not not just like Rick, but he runs triple option also. The question is, how does it look, right? Like, what new mm-hmm. players do they have? Does he run it like Rick? Does he? I, I'm pretty. I think it's fair to assume that Jasper is not going to coach like Rick or run stuff like Rick because he's not Rick. <laughs> but uh, it will be the triple option. I think it'll, it'll just look different, right? So how that's going to look, we'll see. Um, but them having their first game against San Diego is a hell of a way to start the season because San Diego is trying to, you know, make a statement in week one that they're going to be back in the playoffs on the, on the west side. And uh, Utah is also trying to make a statement that, you know, life goes on after Rick and Utah is still Utah and they're going to play good football. So there's a lot to prove for both teams in week one. I agree. I think the – but that's a starting point because I think – in week one, depending on who gets an edge here, it's going to tell us a story, I think, for the rest of the season, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, chemistry. Uh, you know, Nenji, to your point, uh, was the field general, right? And if something broken down, she'd always take the initiative. She was the, the one person that could make the play, you know, playmakers. Not, not that the running backs couldn't do it, but overall, uh, I think they're going to have to rely on the run game a lot more than they did uh, you know, with her, they always rely on the running game, but now they're probably going to have to rely on those pieces in the running back positions. And depending on the coaching staff changes and what scheme they're going to run. So, uh, Mark, uh, right off the bat, we get Mississippi, Texas, or Sean Gore taking on her old team. There's a couple pieces of Mississippi being put together. Uh, so should Texas Elite be scared? Um, no. I wouldn't <laughs> say scared. Prepared. They should be prepared. <laughs> Yeah. They should be prepared, all right? And, and you know what? They will be. Um, and, but that does make it an interesting game, right? I mean, week one, 
We're returning. Teams aren't the same as last year. All kinds of things happen. These, you know, crazy things happen, like, you know, the Ninji being in a car accident. And, and you know, I know I'm, she's probably listening, so get well soon, Ninji. Um, mm-hmm. We want to see you back, and we want you to take care of yourself. Um, but, uh, yes, players uh, change teams. I think Gore is a very – um, you know, that's a good addition to the Panthers. It gives them another weapon. Um, and, you know, Rashawn Gore, she can play, you know, she can play quarterback. She can run the ball. She can line up a receiver. She can line up on defense, a defensive back, maybe even a linebacker too. You know, she's done all these things already. Um, so, so that certainly gives uh, the Panthers, uh, you know, another – a very valuable player to their roster, which I think they needed. Uh, like last year, they really, you know, uh, things didn't work out as well for them as, as I think they were expecting and as we were expecting. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think we're going to see – I don't think we're going to see that team again this year. I think we're going to see a more pet- competitive team out of Mississippi. Um, now – how they'll fare in week one against the Spartans. Um, you know, we won't know till we see it, but that's what makes it an interesting watch. We know that, you know, the Spartans, they're the champs. And um, so we have high expectations for them, even on the first week. Um, so, but it'll be an exciting game. And, and, you know, maybe if the Panthers can get away with one, that, that would be something. Um, Terry, looking at the schedule, Vegas, no Dion Lee. <clears throat> you still have Walters there. Uh, are they going to be different in, in a lot of the aspects of it? Uh, week three is going to show us they're going up against their rival San Diego. They're also going up against Utah in week five. Uh, I mean, they, they get Oregon. I think they get Oregon, if I'm correct. Is it Oregon? No, I think it's just Utah and uh, San Diego, the, the big test. Uh, so it's some changes there as well. So a lot of the teams, San Diego changes with the, with the quarterback situation. you got uh, Utah, obviously, with the coaching changes. Las Vegas coaching changes as well because, you know, Lee's not there. Um, so interesting to, you know, to see where Vegas, you know, v- Vegas and uh, maybe Oregon in that aspect, you know, how they're going to be different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing I would add to what Mark just said about Mississippi is, um, I mean, the obvious addition is Rasan Gore, right? She's uh, a mm-hmm. really big name in the sport. But to add, I would add two things to that. The first, the first thing I'd add is Matt Nix. Matt Nix was one of our best rookies last year for Denver, and she's in the military, so she got stationed by Mississippi, and so that's why she's playing for Mississippi. So that's a big oh, okay. addition for them. Then on top of that, you have four of Alabama Fire's best players that transferred to Mississippi after Alabama um, moved to WFA. And so those, I mean, you know, you have Full Griffin, um, Mary, who plays receiver in DB, uh, Chardonnay, and there's one other one. Um, I'm having a brain fart right now. But anyways, it's four players, and they're all good players. They're all starters for Alabama Fire. And so I feel like mm-hmm. that's, that's a pretty big deal as far as giving them a shot in the arm um, to be more competitive with Texas. But once again, you know, Texas is Texas, and so, you know, they're going to have to face the music in week one. I hope it's a great game. Um, I'd be, I'd be blo- mind-blown if Mississippi pulls off the upset, um, but also Texas is Texas, and um, Texas likes, you know, being 
the, the queen of the hill. And so they're definitely planning on enforcing their will on Mississippi in week one. So we'll see how that goes. Now to move on to Las Vegas, um, like you said, they, they lost Dion as coach, which is a big deal because him and um, what, what is her name? Is it Carrie Walter? Yeah. Yeah. Carrie. So him and Carrie were, have kind of been the two names that have been running the show coaching wise and admin wise um, since the silver stars, you know, were formed. So since it was kind of like a two headed monster, I'm interested to see how that looks when there's one of the heads is gone, but it could go either way. It could go in a bad way or it could go in a good way. If there's certain people that didn't like Dion or didn't want to play because of Dion or didn't, you know, didn't like his coaching style, then that could be good. That could, that could, that could cause players to come back. that wouldn't come back or, you know, new players that join the team that wouldn't have, but um, the other the flip side of the coin is if there's people that were attached to Dion or, or loved him as a coach or, you know, or like I'm only going to play if he's coaching, then the reverse could happen and they could not play because he's not coaching. So I have no idea what the answer to that is. I, I don't, I don't meddle in other people's business, but what I can tell you is one of Las Vegas's best players is on Denver now. Um, her name's Jamie Brand. She was a, uh, all-pro receiver, one of the best receivers in the league last year. She was the best player on the field in the all-pro game, in my opinion. Um, she's just a baller. And so I'm stoked to have her on Denver. And, uh, you know, I mean, of course you can say, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's whatever. Like, we'll be fine without her. Um, but I, I, I want to see if that's actually the case. You know what I mean? Like, how much depth does Las Vegas have that they can afford to lose Jamie Brand and not skip mm-hmm. a beat? We're, we're, we're going to find out. All right, let's bring in the salty one here for a couple minutes before we get out of here. Uh, Mackenzie, welcome back. How's it going? Oscar, Coach T, what's going on? How's it going? Welcome hello, back hello. to the pod, y'all. <laughs> yes, We're talking WNFC, Mackenzie. Uh, we just kind of went through Las Vegas, San Diego, Utah. Uh, looking forward to, uh, to see. Uh, maybe you can give some insights on Oregon, Seattle. Pretty bad last year. Oregon, pretty gritty team most of the season. Uh, so interesting to see what that Northwest matchup is going to look like week one, Oregon, Seattle. Listen, look, let me tell you all something right now. Okay. Um, just like y'all said, Seattle was not great last year. Um, and unfortunately with my being a lover of underdogs, I'm going to have to take Seattle with this one. However, Oregon, I mean, in my humble opinion, I don't think I don't think lived up to its name and what they're they're known for. They're known for coming in and upsetting people. They're known for for coming in and giving you know surprising teams, even if they do end up losing. So it, it's it's hard to tell, especially with there now being you know between thirty and sixty days between seasons before they start, depending on what you know what season you play for, you coach for, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm looking – I'm fully looking for Seattle to kind of go on a revenge tour, if you will. And you know uh, you know that the changes there uh, in terms of the coaching staff, they made some coaching changes. Oregon, at the same time, has, if, they, if they stay healthy, especially with the running backs, stay healthy, they could be an impactful team. I mean, Oregon gets to face Utah, Utah new coach. We just talked about, you know, uh, San Diego with Nenji, obviously her injury with the car crash whether she's going to be, and then they lost their coach as well. So there's a lot of changes for a lot of the teams, but Seattle, to your point, should get better. 
Let me tell you something else right now. As far as Seattle getting better, I absolutely agree. Like, they, they should get better. You know, there's really – Compared to the seasons that they've had before and then compared to this past season, um, the only way they can go is, is uh, like, literally the sky's the limit compared to what, they've, what they're known for and what they've done in the past. Now, going over to the San Diego Rebellion with the injury to Ninji and the loss of their coach, um, I fully expect Ninji to make a re- – I'm not going to say a full recovery because, like, obviously there's going to be some residual effects. There's going to be some, you know, that person is going to feel – they're going to feel – the first hit they get coming back on the field after the crash, they're going to feel it. It's going to suck. It's not going to be easy. But knowing their persistence and and their drive and their loving and, you know, their skill for the sport, it's not going to deter them. And that's that's what's going to be interesting is is how they cut co- they overcome the adversity that they've been given, especially because some of us kind of kind of saw the you know the post and you know the um, the initial news of the accident late. So people, I feel, and unfortunately, I hate to say this, I'm a realist, y'all know this, but yeah. unfortunately. It's, there's going to be some people that are going to ride them off because of the injury. They're going to ride San Diego off, and I'm telling you right now, don't do it. Don't ride them off. Don't do it. it I, just, I think, Mac, the reason for that is because she's such an integral part of that running that offense that we just – a lot of us are going to see that, right? They're going to see, oh, well, the main uh-huh. key piece is gone. That offense might not be able to run. But they still have key running backs, really durable running backs. So they just need a, a game manager, basically. Fair, you know, and I'll I'll give you one better. I think for the first couple games, I'll say even I'll even actually I'll even say just the first two games. For the first two games that Ninja Martin is back in the driver's seat of that San Diego offense, uh, I think that it's going to be a little rocky. It's going to be a little rough. Ninja is not going to like the pressure because they may or may not, you know still be having, you know, PTSD or, you know, just not feel quite comfortable back there. But we also don't know what they're doing to prepare for the season after the injury. You know, obviously the injury kind of still fresh things, fresh topic on the docket here. But I think in general, just based off of, you know, previous seasons and how they've played before through Injuries just not quite as significant as a giant car crash, and I'm sending positive vibes to their team and their organization and that person as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be a little rocky. I think I think that person is going to definitely. I think San Diego is going to come out two and zero in the first two games. However, it's not going to be it's not going to be as dominantly given to them and not given, but like it's not going to be as dominantly received on their end as it normally would be. Mm-hmm. prior to a Ninja Martin injury. Does that make sense, y'all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Max, give us your take on uh, Philadelphia. Pretty horrible. I mean, they, they haven't shown a really, really good season so far in the WNFC. Florida has struggled as well, right? Um, so two teams that are obviously not going in the right direction. What's your take on Philly and maybe Florida, too? Ooh, Philly and Florida, I think, as a whole – like okay, collectively as both teams, I think this season is their season that they're on the hot seat. Uh, to be honest with you, I think this season is their season. Whether they whether they come out, you know, 500 at the end of the season, or whether either one of them come out with a winning season and you know not not quite getting to the nine cup, but showing that they've made improvements. If they can't show the league that they've made improvements of any kind, um, I I don't see them being in the WNFC honestly. 
after this season, I might – and honestly, let me, let me phrase that. I'm going to give them 2023 season and – 2024 season to get their mm-hmm. you know, to get their organizations to to WNFC standards. Having played in the WNFC and having played for a team that what lived up to those standards and then fizzled off, definitely like I, I can definitely say that they may not be invited. Neither one of those teams may not be invited back to the WNFC if they don't show some kind of improvement. Everybody knows that the WNFC is one of the premier leagues for women's tackle football in the states. And in order to do that, you have to produce. Production is everything. Visibility is everything. And both, unfortunately, right now, both those teams are not doing, are not holding up their end of the bargain. The WNFC is giving them the platform. They have social media. They have the funding. They have the sponsorships as far as, like, you know, uniforms, networking, all that other things. Like, the, 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 the league front office has given them the tools that they need. It just seems to be that the recruiting and – or lack thereof, rather, depending on, you know, what side of the coin you're looking at this from, is just not there. And the retention as far as players and, and staff is just not there. Right. I agree. I agree. I think that's a valid point. Uh, Mark, uh, what do we say of Atlanta? No more Alabama as their main rival. Uh, is it Mississippi their main rival? Is it going to be Florida? I mean, or is it going to be Washington Prodigy? What do we say of Atlanta? Well, you know, I think I think Atlanta, you know, is is going to probably have their rivalry with, you know, Mississippi or Washington. Um, right now, I don't think Jacksonville is much of a a threat. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I I really think you know, contrary to you know, Max thought about it, I, I don't think Jacksonville is in much trouble quite yet, even though, you know. You know, they, they haven't been great on the field. I, I don't think they're at any risk of sort of like, um, you know, no longer being a WNFC team for at least, you know, a few more years. We'll see how it goes. But, you know, as far as Atlanta goes, yeah, I mean, to lose to Alabama, that's a big rivalry for them. Um, and they won't be able to play them now that Alabama's um, moved to the WFA. Um, but, you know, I think it gives them more of a chance to, I think, play Washington. Um, I would like to see that matchup more, um, I think, than I have in the past. And uh, and Mississippi, too. Yeah, I think that's where it's at. Now, Mac, before you go, uh, what do you say of Tennessee? New team. They're going to be right in the mix. They're going to be getting Kansas City. They're going to be getting some of the teams. Houston, a new new team as well. Uh, so kind of interested to see what the Trojans are going to be all about. Well, let me tell you this. Look, let me tell you something right now. Everybody knows I love me a new team. I also love me a new <laughs> team that has experience on it. I love, you know I love me a new team. Stop it. Y'all know I love me a new team. However, I love me a new team with experience on it, whether that's coaching experience, whether that's a veteranship, whether that's, players that have played in the game before in any aspect. Um, they're going to have to prove themselves. I'm going to tell you this, they're going to get a buffer, though. The, the first two, three games are really going to test how, you know, mm-hmm. how hard. It's, it's, basically going to, it's going to test their sportsmanship. It's going to test their athleticism. It's going to test everything. However, I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident that, Tro- that Tennessee Trojans team has enough combined experience to make make a statement, I don't think they're going to be 
Um, I don't think they're going to be as, I'm not going to say hyped up because that's kind of an overused term. I don't think they're going to be as thought after as people may think as a dark horse, new brand new team coming in the league. However, Anything is possible with women's football. Everybody knows women's football literally has its up and downs weekly and almost damn daily, (laughs) okay? We all know this. It don't matter if it's the X League, if it's WNC, WFA, IWFL, CFLA, it don't matter. The flag leagues, it don't matter. Like, women's football as a whole is, is a constant up and down, and that's not so much a bad thing, but when you are constantly adding teams to your league, you know, new team, brand new teams, you know, old leadership or new teams, old management or, you know, whatever the combination is, it's how you produce with what you have. It's not about the hype. It's not about the, you know, oh, I got, you know, Stephen Curry as my manager. Okay, great, you have Stephen Curry, but what can you do with Stephen Curry and the pieces you have around you? That's what's going to make a difference. If you can produce – with the pieces around you, whether the management's new, team's new, coaches new, whatever, if you can produce, you will get seen, and it, the product will show. Yeah, agreed. All right, guys, we've got two-minute warning. Uh, then we're getting out of here. Uh, looking forward to XFL Week 3. Let's see how that's going to turn out. We'll kind of recap with uh, XFL Week 3, week, two, week 1 and Week 2 at the top of the hour, so you can go back and replay it. Thanks to the talented Grace Cooper of the Denver Bandits. Uh, Coach uh, Chanel Soho-Tillman of the uh, Houston Mambas for coming in here and giving us a lowdown on their two teams. Kind of a marquee matchup uh, first week in the WNFC, Denver versus Houston. Kind of excited to see that. We're going to talk women's uh, WFA Pro more exclusively on their schedule. We'll do D2 in the next couple weeks. We'll dive into D3 before the season kicks off. Kind of get top matchups there as well. So uh, looking forward to the Hall of Famer coming back next week, uh, Ali Custis as well. Uh, So, uh, Guys, any last-minute, uh, you know, shout-outs for anything? Uh, Terry, I know, you know, you're looking forward to week one and not taking a loss, of course. And then, uh, Mackenzie, you're looking forward to your new team stepping out, right? And then, Mark? Yeah. You know, Coach, we should be good. Go ahead, Coach T. So we got a 90 seconds. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, we're trying to go 1-0, right? So I'm not looking forward to any – I'm not looking forward to week two or playing Texas later on. Uh, we're just try- we're just focused on Houston and trying to go 0-1 versus Houston, or sorry, 1-0 versus Houston. And so I'm looking forward to it, man. It's a it's a good matchup. It's exciting. It's good for the sport, um, and I can't wait. I'm, I'm excited for several games, week one matchups in both leagues. And so um, we still have a lot of work to do. There's a month, like Mackenzie said, we're we're a month out, so there's still work to do. Uh, but I can't wait to actually see everything play out. So, can't wait. Uh, Mac, you got 20 seconds. Look, I'm I'm gonna tell you this. I'm gonna save my opinions for the WFA and my team when we get to it. However, I'm gonna tell you this: Nebraska Pride is gonna be on the map. Play with me. This is the final chapter for the Mac truck. Get ready. Put your seat belts on. Um, the the, the coaching guru, Mark Simone, okay, backseat coach, Terry Lister, and the goat himself, Oscar F. Lopez, out here. Y'all better get ready because women's season's back. We've been gone for a while, but y'all better stop up. It's time too to long. <laughs> Too long. All right, Mark, uh, we're out of here. Ten seconds, so you got to send us off. Hey, man, as always, shout out to my Boston Renegades. You know what, what it is. All right, see you guys. Take it easy.